0: MetCloud, get connected, cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at metcloud
1: underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. My guest today is Sean Lee, who's an active member of the World Economic Forum's Global Innovators Community and is an accomplished executive and conference speaker with extensive experience in digital innovation, cloud strategy, and fintech. Sean is the current CEO of Algorand Foundation, where he leads a team of cryptographers and economists as the custodian of the Algorand blockchain protocol, a highly scalable and decentralized digital currency and transactions platform. Sean has previously held leadership roles with Dell Technologies, Pivotel and DMC, working with clients and partners across 20 plus countries. Thanks for joining me today, Sean, and welcome to the Vanguard Podcast.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's exciting to be here.
1: Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. And obviously you're based in Hong Kong. Um, I'd love to know, and I'm sure the listeners would love to know, how's the environment in Hong Kong now and, and what's it been like over the past 12 to 18 months? And you know, how's it affected you personally and also with the business?
0: Well, I mean, uh, you know being on on the other side of the world, right? kind of in Asia, uh, I, I think the the from a pandemic perspective, uh, most of the countries here have handled it pretty well. Uh, here in Hong Kong, over the last four or five months, we've had like no local cases at all, like zero. Wow. Uh, so we're a little bit of a victim of uh, our own success, right? So so from a, from a life perspective, it's pretty normal you go to work, you go to restaurants, you go to play. I mean, are, nothing has really stopped here for for quite some time now. Uh, but the challenge, of course, is for those of us that uh, normally travel a lot, uh, we do have a pretty strict travel uh, quarantine uh, requirement. So that means uh, anywhere you go when you come back, even though you're vaccinated, you still have to stay two weeks in the quarantine hotel, which kind of dampens any you know travel aspiration, right? So from that perspective, it's a little bit uh, harder to adopt uh, from a from a business perspective, but look, this world is so digital these days. You and I are doing this podcast, you know, on opposite sides of the world. So yeah, uh, you know, this is pr- probably the new normal these days, right? Uh,
1: absolutely, it is. I, I mean, we're all getting Zoom fatigue or or, or video conference fatigue, I guess. And I, I, you know, we're all waiting for the world to go back to normal where we can. You know, fist bump or shake hands again. You know, normally not having to quarantine and not having to wear masks, but um, you know that's probably that's probably a little bit further yet. And I agree with you. Um, from a from a, a, a perspective of the pandemic and 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 doing everything right, it looks like Hong Kong's got it right. And and you know they're allowing people to go and meet locally, and so it's just that overseas travel which seems to be the right action.
0: I, look, in this world, I don't know what's right or wrong anymore. That's right? a good point. It depends on yeah. which side you're staying on. Um, I think there's some things that we definitely have done right here. Uh, but certainly, you know, some people don't really like that restriction. And, you know, from, a, uh, from that perspective, it's probably difficult to bear. But look, there's no place in the world that is perfect these days. Agreed. And I think we just have to cope with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to get into your
1: your career in a minute and 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 talk about where did it start and what and who inspired you. But um, one of the things I read on your C V, you actually, you and I have got something in common, and that is one of our one of our favorite places in North America is is actually Waterloo in Canada. Tell me about that. You went to university there, right? It's it's the home of some of the famous, most famous tech companies in the world like BlackBerry and Shopify. And tell me a little bit about that. Is that where your passion
0: for tech got started? It it is, actually, Scott. Uh, It's amazing that you and I have that common connection. Uh, So I I did uh, study computer science and mathematics uh, from the University of Waterloo, uh, and it's quite famous from a technical engineering perspective uh, in regards to the the students that graduate there. And, uh, you know, look, for a while, um, most of the graduates from computer science or engineering faculties uh, went straight into Silicon Valley, uh, and you know Microsoft, Google, and they have many of our alumni's uh, community that are working in 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 the Valley for sure. Uh, Waterloo is just a, a place where you know I, I still remember when I went there, uh, the first ever computer uh, that were installed in Canada, which took the size of literally not exactly a football field, but it's quite large. Uh, and as a first year student, we actually had to, you know, play with it and learn from it and, and understand how computing have really evolved from, you know, your punch cards all the way to you know, where, where, where we see now. Uh, so I think it's definitely piqued my interest. Uh, I've always got a curious mind and, you know, STEM uh, in general is just something that I have a lot of interest in. So that education certainly has set, uh, set a path for me in terms of my career for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, let, let's let's jump into that career. Where did it all start? Obviously, out of University of Waterloo. Where did it start? What inspired you to follow that career and continue that career? And walk us through those steps to where you are now, which is obviously CEO of Algorand Foundation.
0: Um, well, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll keep it. Um, I'll keep it to the highlights. Uh, no Waterloo Waterloo is one of those um, universities that have a, a what we call a, a very strong co op program, cooperation program. And essentially, uh, it's a little bit different than the internship, right? Which is typically happen in the summertime frame. Yeah. Uh, Waterloo have this program where uh, you study four months and you work full-time four months and you rotate until you finish your, your curriculum. And that what that means is instead of a four-year curriculum for, for undergrad, uh, it takes f- you five years to complete it. And you literally have no time for vacation because every other term, you are doing something different. Uh, it is not easy to go through, for sure. But what that means is, at, when you graduate, you have two full years of working experience, and typically mm-hmm. you'll get experience in, you know, some of the larger institutions that come to Waterloo. They'll come to the university, look for, you know, students to join the join in the ranks, and potentially uh, join them when they when they graduate as well. And that's the route I took. Uh, so my very first uh, full time job out of um, out of university. I was working for IBM. I uh, worked on a lot of their middleware projects, database projects. Uh, I didn't do COBOL, uh, but I, I certainly had some uh, some exposure to it. Uh, but I was very lucky because it was in the in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s, and that's when kind of the internet really started ticking off. Um, yeah. So I had exposure to some of the the most interesting kind of business model that were emerging at the time. And and to me, I, I really call myself lucky. You know, being in the tech. Having a tech background, jumping in it just when it's really touching every industry possible, and then having you know to to go through that journey over the last 25 years uh, is something that I certainly do treasure a lot. Um, you know, so so I, I started that I uh, started the IBM career, and then uh, you know, dot com happened. Uh, yeah. I found myself somehow uh, relocating from Toronto, which is where we were living at the time, uh, to New York. And, you know, I went to the Big Apple amazed and all by, you know, this capital city of the world uh, and really got in touch you know, and, and really understand the financial services very well. And, you know, I, I would probably say every major Wall Street names that you can come up with from an institutional perspective, uh, I've probably consulted for, sold into, um, or have some sort of in- interaction or engagement with uh, in those companies. So they give me... Give me a pretty good exposure uh, in terms of how the world of finance works. Uh, the ups and the downs, uh, I went through the financial crisis as well. I still remember vividly being in New York uh, at the time. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, the company I was working for at the time asked me to come back to Asia. Uh, I say come back to Asia only because I was born here, but I, I spent most of my life in North America. And they, they were really looking for someone to help them expand. Uh, the Asia footprints and really bring a lot of that know-how from from a North America perspective to Asia, uh, and I put up my hand and you know ten years later I'm still here, so so that's a, a brief a brief run through uh, in terms of how uh, how I kind of got uh, ended up from you know from a university in Canada to New York, uh, and in the middle you know have done business in over twenty countries and now I'm you know, living in Hong Kong but really having a global role.
1: Which is is one thing that I, I, I love hearing about because, you know, I, I was very lucky enough to to come from Australia and come to, to Europe to to learn my craft and you know, from sales and tech. Um and I don't think there's any better life experiences. We talk about life experiences and life skills a lot on the podcast, but mm-hmm. um, you know, but but going overseas, um, studying working or or just traveling and playing I don't think there's any better life skill than learning about different cultures different people different uh different ways of life than actually going and and experiencing it and you know one of the things that I always encourage young people when I speak to them is is go and travel you know it's a bit hard at the moment obviously with COVID Mm -hmm. but you know when you get that opportunity to travel or even work overseas take it because there's no better way of learning about other cultures and business practices and so forth than actually doing it would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely, you know, in in Chinese we have this uh, saying, right? Uh, you know, rather than reading ten thousand books, it's actually better to walk ten thousand miles. Yeah, uh, because what you see and what you experience is certainly uh, real time information, and it it touches you. It's not through a third party, and the the perspective that it brings you is uh, very incredible. Uh, I'll uh, one example, maybe I'll, I'll share with you is that. Um, in the 2010-2011 timeframe, I, I had the chance to spend some a bit of time in the Middle East, and you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Turkey, you know, all, all the all the Middle Eastern countries. From from a business perspective, I will tell you, you know, I've never been there before, and before then, I always have this notion of what the Middle East looked like because yep. of what you see on the news, right? That's and awesome. sometimes uh, that perception becomes reality. And you think that is indeed the reality. But when I went there uh, and I you know, talked to you know, business professionals, but just any, every day, everyday people you know, walking around and, and whatnot, you start to realize the world is really not how, very often not what you see on TV. And sometimes I, I know media likes to play in a certain way because it sells newspapers and whatnot, uh, but reality is very different. And I, I think it goes to my point about you know, really walking 10,000 miles and really seeing and living and, co- you know, and, and communicating, uh, that is way more important than just trying to pick up some news on YouTube and Twitter these days, right? I mean, it's just so, Absolutely. It's so, so different.
1: Absolutely, I, th- I think that's a wonderful, wonderful message. Um, for the for the simple fact that I agree hundred percent with it. Um, but also, you know, one of the things I haven't done I haven't spent a lot of time in in the Middle East. A little bit, not a lot. Um, but certainly, the preconceived um, misconceptions of places mm-hmm. that you've never been to, you've only seen on the news or via social media. Completely different. Most of the time, completely different to when you experience it in world in real life, and I I think that's a fantastic um, fantastic example of getting out there and doing it. I think that's great. Um, I'd love to um jump on the um you know where you are now, which is CEO of Algorand Foundation, and obviously. You know, for those that don't know, Algorand. I'd love to you know to, to to talk about it. It's obviously a decentralized digital currency and transaction platform. But can you tell us a little bit about the business and and your cryptocurrency, the Algo? Because one of the things that you speak, you know, you hear it on on um, you know general chats in the pub or with your friends or uh, on the news now with all these famous crypto trading platforms, but. I really would love someone to just demystify the myths about currencies. you know, how do they work? How is it regulated or not? What's the difference between your algo to Bitcoin, to Ethereum, to Dogecoin, you know, all these different cryptocurrencies? So can you tell us a little bit about your business and also about your cryptocurrency? And then we can go into, you know, a little bit about the cryptocurrencies if that's okay.
0: Uh, certainly, certainly. So uh, I, I currently run the Algram Foundation, uh, which is a, a crypto project uh, that was actually started by a world-renowned computer scientist and Turing Award winner, uh, Sylvia McCallie, Uh And he's uh, he's been a tenure professor at MIT for decades, uh, one of the forefathers of modern cryptography. And part of what um, Silvio set out to do is that, you know, he was looking at the fairly new uh, blockchain and crypto industry. And, and the reality is, you know, this whole thing really started about, what, 11 years ago, right? When when uh, this anonymous um, uh, publisher called um, Satoshi Nakamoto uh, published this paper uh, about Bitcoin, which kind of kicked off this whole industry, which is absolutely booming right now. So so the notion of blockchain and crypto, uh, I looked at it as kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, Let me use a... A uh, layman's term to explain it. Uh, I, I like to use kind of plain old English to explain right. things rather than technicality. The best okay, way of doing, it in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we 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 overcomplicate things and making it so so strange and so you know so so black box like. But the reality is that's not right. So you think about blockchain like uh, infrastructure. Think about it like a superhighway, right? Some superhighways are built fairly new. They have eight lanes, sixteen lanes, and Obviously, the more lanes you have, the more traffic you can uh, allow on it, and also the type of pavement that you put on top of it, and the safety measures, and all of those things make the highway you know more usable. Right. So, blockchain is really an infrastructure. Yeah. Now, what is crypto? Well, crypto is really designed so that when you're using this super highway, there are tolls. So, for every you know distance that you go on the highway, you pay a fee. So you can actually use this highway. Now of course the the way you look at it is this highway is useless if not if there's no traffic on it right but if there's too much traffic on it then can you uh, leverage some sort of measure to actually make it more scalable more more transparent uh, and thereby the, from a user experience perspective the highway is you know is the best to drive on for example yeah does that make sense so far so yeah, does, that's yeah. like infrastructure and, and a transactional element now. The, the way how a lot of this works, though, is that because blockchain was really designed to be a, a, a much more decentralized infrastructure than a centralized one. So, again, I'm going to use that highway as an example. Right, uh, You can have government-owned highways, which most of the highways that we see these days are government-owned. Right? They, they build it and they own it. Um, or you can have highways or infrastructure that are built, by, built and owned by the community. And blockchain was really designed to be a fairly decentralized way of operating infrastructure, right? So the way you do that then is through the ownership of the token, meaning the token and the transaction fees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you can then allow for various different type of ownership and or usage by the community to use this uh, highway that is also owned by the community. So it, it kind of, goes away from this very centralized view that we have across the world, especially in the world of finance, uh, but moving it to in in a world where community decides and the community will decide where to go, how to do things, uh, and then also how to continue to evolve this superhighway to do even more and connect to more places and have more use cases, you know, in terms of different sizes of cars and whatnot that can run on it. So that's probably a way that I would explain blockchain and crypto is that's fundamentally what is really meant to be. Blockchain as an infrastructure yep. and the cryptocurrency on top as a as a transaction fee to you know to allow you to run on that network.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. that makes perfect a really good analogy. Actually, I really love the the, the description. It's um, it, it's a lot easier to understand when it's back to layman's terms. Certainly for me, and I'm sure a, a few of the uh, a few of the listeners as well. I, I, I guess one of the things. So, so what excited you to 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 go into this area of of technology? Because normally, you know, you've been with Dell, Pivot Cell, EMC. You know, big big software hardware names. What what excited you to go down this path?
0: Uh, what excited most, excited uh, me like the most, was the the transformational aspect and the disruptive aspect of what mm. this technology and also economic model allows normal businesses to evolve. Uh, I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Right, if you if you think about technology, we've always thought about technology as an enabler. Right? that's what yeah. a lot of people like to say especially technologists like myself absolutely if you go back to you know I shared with you I started my career back in the, the mid 90s right that's when the internet really started taking ticking off right so you have the the infancy of the Googles the Amazons and of the world and they were really starting to create these new business models that disrupts uh, various different traditional industries, like the retail industry, obviously the bookstore industry you know, in, in the beginning, uh, information sharing in terms of how you search for, for things rather than uh, rather than going into a centralized body to, to find it. Uh, so, so a lot of that started taking shape and it started transforming how, in, how technology is impacting how industries are, um, how all of us are interacting with the industries. Yep. Then you go another 10 years and you've got e-commerce and you've got social networks and I mean those things are starting to really take shape and and that that takes communication now on the internet to a different level. So then you move to move forward another 10 years, right? And now it's a cloud computing age, right? Then that's where I was before I came into crypto. Yeah. And now it's information being shared, information being stored in a way that is not literally right beside us or in our computers. Right? It is in the cloud up there somewhere. And that really breaks how people communicate but also share information. And then now you look at crypto, you look at blockchain, you look at things like AI. This is now taking the transactional aspect and the interaction aspect to a whole new different angle yet again. So I, I look at all of these transformational technologies as one layer on top of another. And that's, you know, when I was kind of looking for a career change, I started looking into this industry and I thought, wow, this is really, really different. Because not only can you make current processes much more efficient, but you can actually create new things because of this monetization and tokenization aspects of assets that you can do with crypto. And, that, and the transformational aspect and also the transactional nature of how you do that is so radically different. And there's something here that, you know the future world is going to be depending on and it probably makes sense for me to jump into it because the best way to learn about it is to jump into the industry and that's absolutely how i got in
1: absolutely makes perfect sense i guess one of the questions that comes up and and you know i I really love the way you've you've described it all here but one of the questions that comes up and it certainly does in my circle of friends that are not involved in technology like we are is is this ever going to replace good old-fashioned cash
0: uh, well, the answer is maybe, and okay. maybe your audience is probably a little bit disappointed in an answer. <laughs> uh, but uh, it is not certain yet. Right. Uh, and let me let me answer it this way. Uh, can, can I be a little bit provocative on your show? Hundred percent. Please okay. do. All right. So so let, let me give you kind of two sides of the uh, two two opposite opinions in in, in regards to the question. Uh, is it going to replace cash? Well, uh, there are already lots of facilities and uh, and applications that kind of have replaced cash, right? It, 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 as as old as something like a credit card, right? Um, and then to mobile payments, digital payments, uh, and then to you know places like China, where I mean people haven't been using cash for ten years, yeah. right? For a yeah. country that's got what you know 1.4 billion people. So, so if you look at it that way, then uh, is cash going to be replaced uh, with or without cryptocurrencies and blockchain? Then the answer is yes, because you're already yeah. seeing it happen. Right? Absolutely. So that's inevitable. If data had a sound, it could be this, the sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. Met Cloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Now, the the notion of where cryptocurrency can it replace Currency as we know it today. Well, that's a tricky part because there is in the in the world of digital currency, you can almost look at it as having two opposite type that's emerging right now. One is cryptocurrency. You know, so those are, those in the audience that have heard of Bitcoin, Ethereum. Yeah. You know, our own our own native uh, token called the Algo and others. Uh, those are indeed cryptocurrencies. Most of these cryptocurrencies has a fixed amount. What does that mean? That means when they were created, think about the U.S. Mint, for example, right? When these coins were created, there's only a fixed amount, right? For Bitcoin, there's 21 million total. That's it programmatically built into the network. There's not going to be any more. Now, what does that mean, though? What that means is it almost acts like gold, coincidentally, right? Because you kind of know there's only a certain amount of gold out there. There may be more to be mined, uh, but the reality is the, the ma- vast majority of gold reserve in the world is probably already there, right? in, already in human society. So when you have a commodity like gold that you know there's a fixed amount, then naturally the value of it becomes, uh, becomes quite interesting to monitor, right? Because scarcity uh, you know, brings a lot of very interesting economic factors to the asset itself. Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies operate in a very similar manner. So while it is a transaction fee, like I mentioned before, you know, like the like the toll fees on, a, on, a, on the superhighway, uh, nevertheless, these are assets. These are traded on exchanges, and thereby they do have a market. But when this market is determined by a fixed amount of quote-unquote coins uh, that are out there, then the value itself, uh, in some sense, you can almost call it inflationary, right? it it protects you from from the the rampant inflation that we're seeing around the world now. So that's one aspect. The other aspect though is digital currencies that are issued by countries, right? There's this term called central bank digital currency, right, CBDC. Uh, And it's really fascinating where where this topic or this um, research is really taking off now around the world. And CBDCs are controlled by the government, not by the community, controlled by the government, and they're issued, just like cash, uh, by the government. So you can almost argue it's easier to print money when it's digital, right? Because you don't actually have to print anymore, like physically print it. You can just press a button and say, oh, I need another trillion dollar because I need to build more bridges you know, in a particular country. I'm not going to name that country. Uh, then you can just go print it, right? Yeah, and yeah. And then what that what does that what happens to that currency itself? Well, that currency is devaluing all the time. Um, I, I had this interesting question from from one of the kids uh, that I talked to recently, and he's like, "Hey, you know, Uncle Sean, um, you know, what, when you bought a, a an ice cream cone when you were younger, how much was it?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, it was probably you know, fifty cents." And you know, that ice cream cone is probably six, seven dollars now, right? Pretty good one. Um, and, and then, you know, the kids like, well, why is the ice cream so expensive now compared to when you were, I said, actually the ice cream cone hasn't, the ice cream hasn't gotten more expensive, but the money, the, the value of the money have gone down a lot. yeah That's why it cost me when I was younger, 50 cents to buy it. And now it's $7. So when you have a mechanism like the monetary system that we have today that continues to create inflation because you are allowed to print more whether it's digital or not it creates a lot of problems Uh, some of it is social some of it is fiscal Um, and a lot of those really are causing a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the world today now i'm certainly not advocating cryptocurrency is going to solve that it is all but one piece of the puzzle of course Um, but how currency as we know it today and cryptocurrencies and other form of digital currencies continue to exist and potentially have find a happy medium where uh, all of them have its own place for its right application and controlled by the right people. I, I, I wait for that day to come. It's that, that day is not here yet. Uh, but I, I think the reality is the world is starting to see, ah, there's some very interesting possibility when these things are working together in concert uh, and I, I think uh, you know, over the next 3, 5, 10 years, uh, our next generation is really going to be at the forefront of all of that happening in their life. Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I guess one of my questions, or, or my only question to what you just said there, and uh, really insightful, thank you for that, is with the development of cryptocurrencies, and, and obviously with the development of, of these digital currencies owned by the government banks and, and so forth, it, how is it going to benefit stronger economies more than weaker economies? Or do you see that starting to level the
0: playing field a little bit? It depends on how it's implemented. Okay. If it's purely a form, the digital form of whatever that is there now, uh, without any particular fiscal changes, then it's probably not going to level up the playing field between the, the richer and the poorer countries. I don't see it happening. Right. Yeah, uh, because it's just a digital form of the same old thing.
1: Right? Yes, of course. Uh,
0: but if it goes towards a point where, uh, again, I like to use examples, so I hope hope, hope that's okay with you. Of course. Uh, you know, if you think about the the world um, trade reserve, right? You know, I think it's like seventy or eighty percent of the the, the, the global uh, trade currency is the U.S. dollar, and most of that is flowing through something called SWIFT, right? And what that means is, when a country, say Thailand, is trying to trade with Sweden, uh, they can't really go direct, right? Almost everybody have to go convert to dollar first. That's right. Yeah, and then convert back into whatever currency the the opposite, you know, the counterparties um, are, are holding. So, so that means it's got a, a few areas where it becomes very troublesome. Uh, one, there's really literally one currency that controls the entire world. Uh, but secondly there's a lot of inefficiencies right every time you convert there's fees there's different banking system that needs to be involved thereby when you transfer funds from one country to another you're not talking seconds or minutes you're talking t plus one t plus two three sometimes a week right depending on which country you're talking to so and then the more underdeveloped an economy is the worse that's going to be so when you have that kind of system which is what we have today uh, it really makes this inequality problem that we have around the world even 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 more announced, pronounced I should say pronounced. Yep. Now, is digital currency going to change that? Not necessary. However, if you have a digital again, I'm just going to use an example, right? A digital tie, which doesn't exist today, or and you can have a digital chrono, right, which is the, the Sweden the Swedish um, uh, yep. currency currency. And yep. you can trade directly using this digital currency, well, well, then that's different, because you are cutting out a lot of inefficiencies, and it's still packed to the local currencies. So there's no speculative asset to it. People can say, hey, you're just printing it out of the blue. It is just following the local currency, but you can go direct. And then you think about that within third country where there's a trilateral trade happening, right, with um, whatever, with, uh, with uh, Uganda, right? And then you have another country joining into it with their own digital currency, you know, the Indonesian rupiah. So, so now you're starting to see a new world, kind of a new trading system being formed that is more direct, A to B, B to C, C to E, rather than always going through one centralized network pegged against one single currency. i not saying that's bad, that's just the world that we've been running for the last 40, 50 years, and some level of transformation happening in that space. And whether that's goes toward that direction when all of the major economies and the developing economies start to have their own digital currency, and whether that really brings a lot more efficiencies, that remains to be seen. But you can kind of see that it will, because you're going direct, right? You yeah. level the playing yeah. field. You can trade with anyone you want without really needing to go towards a, a very standardized and you know, controlling party.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's that's opened my eyes. I've had the I've had the light bulb moment um, in regards to cryptocurrencies and how that can change and 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 cryptocurrencies changing, you know, international business and 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 the like. So thank you for that explanation. Really, really impressive. I I, I get it, which I never thought I would actually. So thank you, Sean. <laughs> that that was no, you're that welcome. was re- as I said that wow. was really insightful. Um you know blockchain and cryptocurrencies have only been around for a short amount of time from a public perspective i know as you say 11 years and 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 there's there's time passed but you know in the last 12 to 18 months and certainly around the pandemic and we can't get away that we've you know the world's been changed in the last 2 years there's no doubt about that but over the last 12 to 18 months how has it changed for your industry and the k- cryptocurrency industry? And ha- have there been any negatives regarding it? And what are the negatives and positives over those last 12 to 18 months? And, and what do you see, you know, in the next 12 to 18 months from, from past experiences?
0: Oh my, you're asking me to reach out
1: for my uh, crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. And we've only we've only got 20, 20 minutes left to talk about it. But, uh, uh, right. you know, I, I mean, it, I, I know it's a very open-ended question. Maybe we do another podcast just on this. But, um, you know, how how has the pandemic affected, you know, not only the industry, but also the public perception of the industry? And, and, and what do you think is going to happen over the next 6, 12, 18 months? Okay.
0: So uh, the, the pandemic um, – I don't know whether it's the pandemic accelerating the whole development of it, um, or or otherwise. But the, the, certainly, the timing is quite coincidental. Um, and I, I look at it this way: the because of the pandemic, and because of the way how stimulus packages work around the world, thereby most con- most economies around the world just have no choice but to create more money, right, so that they can. They can serve their own uh, constituents and, and, and obviously countrymen. Uh, and thereby, money around the world, currencies around the world continue to devaluate. Now, they're devaluating altogether. Yeah. So, what that means is you don't really see it, right? You don't see it as much, but everything is devaluating um, to altogether. So, I think the pandemic certainly has some aspect to do with that because you do need to spend to get the economies back on track. Uh, and, and to make sure you know, everybody is, uh, is is able to kind of pick themselves up and, and move on. So so from that perspective, uh, it has certainly helped the crypto community because everything is you know supply and demand market dynamics, right? Uh, you know very often people say you know when currencies are devaluating, then you park you know in the old days you park it in commodities, right? Gold and silver and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, and then some people will then park it also in stock. Uh, the equities market, commodities markets, um, and some will park it in real estate, right? So the you, you see a rotation of asset classes kind of going, you know, liquidity going from one uh, asset class to another. And normally, you know, in financial services, it's just kind of go, you know, it's almost a round-robin style, right? You kind of rotate from one over to another and so on and so forth. And now you can almost look at cryptocurrency as another asset class that has now been, really brought into the mainstream as another place where liquidity are going into. And if you look at all of the statistics and the numbers, uh, there have been a lot of capital, a lot of liquidity flowing from the fiat world, fiat meaning like local, uh, real currencies, yeah. uh, into crypto. And we're talking billions of uh, dollars going into crypto. Now, you know, a few years ago, that was predominantly retail people that are interested, maybe speculators that just want to get, you know, get into it, and so on and so forth. But the last well, 12, to 12, 12 to 18 months, you start to see a lot of institutions, companies, getting into it. And that's, that's kind of what I call the mainstream moment, right? or the beginning of a mainstream moment, is when companies are starting to look at this asset class and say, hey, there is some value here. And it is a hedge. And I do want to get in. Because later on, it's only going to increase more, because in reality, currency continue to be devaluated. So, this industry, from a uh, from an asset perspective, has definitely exploded. Now, when you have an explosion in terms of market value, naturally, you attract more people to come in, speculators, you know, and also developers. So now, a lot of developers are building blockchain applications. Uh, some of Some of the audience might have heard of something called DeFi, which is decentralized finance, uh, lending pools, derivative products, you know, staking projects, and so on. Uh, Some some of you might have heard of NFT. That's you know, a lot of people equate that to digital art, but it's so much more than that. Uh, And so, so there is now a lot of different types of products that people can actually use their cryptocurrency for, and that has again, increase even more utility and thereby attract even more capital uh, going into this industry. So the, the short, long and short of it is the last 12, you know, 12 to 18, 24 months have been just absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal, right? The numbers are off the chart. Uh, do, you, do I think it's in a bubble? A little bit. Um, but this bubble isn't getting bursted just because, uh, one, where's the liquidity going to go, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Where are you going to park it? you're not going to go back into a savings account that gives you 0%. Um, you can buy real estate, but there's only so much houses and lands that are, that are out there, right? Equities is already at all-time high. Uh, where are you going to put, put your money? So there's a reason why this asset class is, has exploded. And I, I think over the next you know, year or so, uh, is it going to go in the same trajectory? I, I think there will be some breathing moment, uh, you know, corrections. Um, but in in as far as the whole industry is concerned, it is maturing, and it's only going to get bigger.
1: Well, really good, love that. And and to be honest with like like any investment, they can go up or down. Um, so obviously, people need to take their own financial advice if they're in, investing in 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 cryptocurrency or or, or whatever. I, for one, have have invested in a few, um, and you know, let's see how that goes. I'm in for the long haul, and but it's just a different vehicle um, of, as you say, it's it's a different currency. Uh, sorry, a different um, a- asset class. Asset, it's a yes. it, it's a different way. It, it's a different vehicle for me to ho- hopefully make money uh, from any investments I have, because let's face it, at the moment, banks are paying little, you know, little return on on your on your savings. Um, so people are looking at different. At, at different vehicles to, to, to make money on their, on their cash. So um, yeah, it, it's an interesting time. Really, really interesting time. So, so thanks for your insight on that. Really, really enjoyed it. And, and uh, as I said, I, I guess we could probably go for two, three hours in, in learning more <laughs> about it, but um, hopefully it's, it's, it's piqued people's interest in, 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 in this space Um, and, and they can learn more about it and they can certainly, they can certainly learn more about you and, and, uh, and your organisation at uh, Algorand.Foundation. So um, I want to I jump into the Quickfire 3. We've only got a few minutes left here, <laughs> sure. Sean, and, and, and I really, really appreciate your time today. Um, so many so many takeaways for me, so thank you for that. Um, my first question in the Quickfire 3, I really love to, to, to hear this from people. Who inspired you as a kid?
0: Oh, well, many, many people along the way have, have inspired me. Um, and I, I, I think if I, let me see if I, if I have to get, get one specific example, I, I would probably say my, my grandfather. Uh, and I, I say that because it was one, uh, family value principle, whatever you want to call it, that he instilled in me. Uh, and, and that is, he, he tells me opportunity. You know, a lot of people complain that, you know, they can't find opportunities. Uh, or opportunities just never land their way. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather kept telling me that is actually not true, because opportunities are around us all the time. But it is whether we are prepared enough, trained enough, and sharp enough to actually see these opportunities passing us by and be able to grasp on them. and And that's what he's told me when I was very, very young, and I couldn't quite understand what that meant. But as my career continued to progress, and I, when I look back, that's when I realized, that's exactly what he meant. But you have to be prepared, know what you're looking for, and just be on the lookout because otherwise you just you don't even know if the opportunity is like literally right beside you and you just kind of missed it. It's
1: amazing how many people say that, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity of coming over to, to the UK if the tiger economy hadn't hit the skids in the late 90s. Um, right. You know, and so it gave me the opportunity of saying, you know what, I'm going to go and follow my dream in Europe 18 years later. Here I still am. So um, I love that. I really love that. Um, one of the things that I uh, discovered about you, and you don't make it, a, you don't make it a, a, a secret, by the way, but one of the things I discovered about you, you're a massive and avid Star Wars fan. <laughs> so I really want to know, what is your favorite movie and character? Uh,
0: my favorite movie, uh, I would actually say it's Rogue One. And, and that might be a, an odd one yeah. there, you know, because most people would say, oh, you know, the, the it, it's probably, you know, either the the episode four or episode five, you know, the beginnings are, were always the best. And I love them, right? I love them all, yeah, uh, including all the all the spin-offs now. But I, I found Rogue One to have such an incredible independent story, but at the same time, it stitched together a lot of the loose ends from the original uh, trilogy. And the character developments, the way how the teams work together uh, and how they were going up against odds that they knew they had no chance of winning, but they went ahead and do it anyways for the greater good. I, I just found that very inspiring. And it's one, one of those Star Wars movies that I go back again and again. I uh, love it. Great. What, what about character? Uh, character. You know, here's another odd one. Uh, so I love Yoda. Yeah, not because he's who master Yoda and all that, right? And, you know, looks cute, but at the same time, very intelligent. So, of course, all of that. But here's the thing. When you listen to Yoda talk, and for me, who is Chinese by, by heritage, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, but obviously, I, 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 you know, I mostly speak in English. The, the, the language of Chinese, if I, ter- if I were to translate it literally in English, it almost sounds like Yoda talking. Because everything is in reverse. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so when I started watching Star Wars when I was younger, I was like, well, that's interesting because I, I was looking at the Chinese subtitles when I was younger. And I'm like, Whoa, that that's actually exactly how we would say it, except in English, it's reversed uh, or vice versa. And I just thought that was fascinating. I don't know if it's because George Lucas had, a, you know, I know he had a lot of kind of Asian influence so so maybe when he designed the characters, there were a lot of that instilled in there. Uh, but I've always found the way Yoda talk, uh, you know, especially given me who's kind of uh, a, a, a mix between East and West, I've always found that very fascinating.
1: <laughs> Love that. Love that indeed. My first, my, sorry, my final question is, do you have a business leader that you follow and why?
0: Business leader? Um, I would say Satya Madala. Uh, and, and the reason is that there are really two reasons for that. One is, uh, before I got into crypto and blockchain, I was in the cloud computing space. And obviously, you know, when Satyam came, came on to go took over the top job at Microsoft, he really transformed the company uh, from a you know, software company into really a cloud company, an information sharing company, and I, I looked at how he's done it. Uh, to take this really large company and completely turn it around. And now, you know, it's continuing in the trajectory that I'm sure even Bill Gates would be very, very proud. Uh, I just found that very inspiring. But also what I found most interesting about him is his demeanor, the way he runs things, uh, and the never over-the-top way, uh, you know, at which he he runs the company and one of the largest companies in the world. Mm. There's this humility in him. This really groundedness in him that I found inspiring, and I, I certainly, you know, sometimes when I look into running my organization, even though obviously it's much smaller, you know, I take a lot of uh, things that I've seen from him, and I thought ah, that's something that I want to emulate. So I would that's say it's uh, it's him, yeah.
1: Yeah, really good. And it's amazing because the, the more people you speak to, um, certainly the more people I speak to doing this podcast, um, and the more famous or successful these people are, the more grounded and humble they are. Um, mm. It's the people that are not at that level that are not as humble or grounded or or, you know, um, and, and I find that really really fascinating. Um, I really love that. Sean, look we're at the end of our time and, and I really really want to thank you for for taking the time out of your your busy schedule. I know it's uh, it, it's it's getting into the evening and family time on a Friday evening at uh, uh, where you are. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate um, you you demystifying the, uh, the complicated, stories around cryptocurrency which as you've explained isn't really that complicated you've just got to know what your what you know what it is and how it works so i appreciate you doing that thank you so much for your time and i wish you all the very best going into christmas and the new year and and all the best to you and and the algo Rand foundation
0: thank you so much it's been uh, my pleasure coming on to the show and thank you again for the invitation and i do want to uh, wish everyone uh, you know happy holidays uh, that's coming up and please uh, take some rest and hopefully, when we turn the calendar year, it will be a, will be a new world that, that we're Absolutely. going
1: into. Absolutely. And I look forward to catching up with you face-to-face, whether it be here in yeah, London or sure. in Hong Kong on the way home sometime.
0: <laughs> for sure. For sure. Take, Take care, Scott. You.
1: Thanks, Sean. Bye now.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: My thanks to Sean for joining me on the Vanguard Podcast today and giving us an excellent overview of the cryptocurrency phenomenon sean really does seem genuinely excited by the way crypto is transforming the world and potentially as one example it will cut some fees and inefficiencies we experience in sending money in multi-currencies via traditional banks sean values those life lessons he learned from moving from hong kong to canada to do his studies and he's saying that walking 10,000 miles in life instead of just reading 10,000 books about it is something I can certainly relate to. Thanks again, Sean, and good luck in the future with Algorand. Finally, as we head into the holiday and Christmas season and again with this pandemic still a huge part of our lives, I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and thank you for listening and supporting myself and the podcast in 2021 and I'm very much looking forward to bringing you more inspirational and exciting vanguards in 2022 and beyond. Take care, stay safe, keep on innovating and Merry Christmas everyone.